Well, um, today we're going to do a rap, or actually just a, a rap, W-R-A-P, <laughs> in case you were worried, because I got worried as soon as I said it. John Free looked up, because he's from the hood. <laughs> he can do his collared shirt rap, uh, Eddie Bauer rap, they call it. Um, W-R-A-P, first half of this series, we're doing it in two halves. Um, after this Sunday, we're going to do several weeks of looking outward, more mission-focused stuff. That's going to be about four or five weeks of that, and then we'll come back to the worship thing. What we've been trying to do up to now is kind of lay the theology, the, the thought foundations for what is worship. If you haven't been here, you know, what we're <laughs> it's ambitious, I guess. We're trying to just say worship. Why do we do it? What is it? How do we do it? Who do we worship when and where? And so that's really the first two is what we've done this whole time. We've said why we worship is because God is glorious. Um, We looked at in throughout the, the testimony of the scripture when it talks about glory, it's talking about the weight of God's being. It, it, it's the, the brilliance in his beauty. And, and it's hard to describe in just a short sentence because it's so large. It's, it's really hard to find in the scriptures one sentence that says, this is the definition of the glory of God. So one of the coolest things we get, so, so we see things where God's descending on a mountain and there's, it, or it's, it's like this light that you see or, you know, that, that creation itself displays the glory of God. But the, the most powerful ways we see it are two ways. The first one is when Moses in Exodus, who's seen all this crazy stuff, he's seen God split a sea. He's, he's seen, you know, uh, all these plagues come on Egypt. He's, he's seen fire that led them at night and a cloud by day. He still says, God, will you show me your glory? And, and God says, yeah, I will. And what God does is he articulates, says out loud, the heart of his glory is that he is loving and he's just. And so then when we look at the whole New Testament, it, Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the, the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus. That the height of God's glory is the cross where his love and his justice are both expressed. In this intense way that we, we've been singing about all morning. So we worship God because it's the reasonable response to God's glory. God does not need anything from us. In fact, we can't really give him glory because the glory comes from him. So when we talk about um, how we worship or what, what, what it actually is, it's glorifying God. What it is, it's returning to God what he's given to us. That that. As a human, we embody, it's called the image of God, the brilliance of God, the glory of God. And then we can also declare it. We can use words and actions to display the love and justice, the beauty and brightness of God, right? But we also know that sin deforms our ability to embody the glory of God. It's like a really, really smudgy mirror, you know, that you can't see the reflection back of the glory of God very well. And so worship is not only glorifying God, it's becoming like Jesus. It's being restored. We can only reflect back the glory of God as he rebuilds the glory of God in us. 
And man, that's what we were just hearing all morning. The good news of the gospel is we cannot fix ourselves. The first good news is there's a problem. It's the best thing ever. It's a, what, what are you, you, you saying I don't have a problem? Or you, you say, the best thing ever is to realize you're a sinner. It's such a relief. It's like, I just can't do this, man. I can't, I can't make it. But God has done this for me to rescue me and fix me. That's the joy of the gospel to realize he's making me into a saint. Isn't that beautiful? So what we're going to talk about today then is, and I'm just going to say, how do we worship God? And the, and the text we've been using this whole time is this sentence, Romans 12:1. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And well, we based, when we talked about why do we worship and some of what we worship, it's just based on that word therefore. Therefore refers back to everything that Paul talked about in Romans 1 through 11. What, ha, what, therefore, in light of what? What's the therefore, therefore? It's Romans 1 through 11. And then last week we talked about in view of God's mercy. That becoming like Jesus is the fact that we can become like Jesus. Jesus, who is the perfectly articulated vision of what it means to be human. Does that make sense? So Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, let's make man and woman in our image. Then we deform the image through sin. So Jesus comes back sinless, demonstrating the image of God, takes our sins on him. So then he can give the reformed, resurrected image of humanity, of God in humanity. And so that's what we talked about, God's mercy. What we're going to talk about here today is offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So how do we worship? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so, Lord, we ask you to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit, a demonstration of the power of the Spirit, so we know, even with very familiar passages, Lord, we'd be, we'd be astounded by your glory. And we'd find ourselves worshiping you, even as we just look at this and listen to this, that we find ourselves worshiping you here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What I want to do to help us cast an image for, for what Paul might have meant when he was writing this, this group of Christians in Rome back in the first century. What was, he, what was going in his mind when he said, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice? And so I just want to look at sacrifice and worship, mostly because it's a pretty foreign concept for most of us here, I would imagine. I don't see anyone holding animals or knives. You know where I'm going with this, right? I'm talking about animal sacrifice. So if you look at through ancient, any ancient religions from the New Testament and before, not only was there animal sacrifice involved, it was normal and expected. In fact, it would be like, what kind of worship do you do if you don't do sacrifice? And if you want to just read the history books, you can see it all throughout the Old Testament. Surrounding cultures had animal sacrifice. And we actually see spontaneously Cain and Abel right out of the garden narrative. They offer sacrifices to worship God. We see Job doing it. All these different passages here that, that it was just when you wanted to worship God, what do you do? Build an altar, make a sacrifice. 
And so you can look at those passages here. We always make our, our slides available uh, on our website. Actually, I think it's on our YouTube page where you can find them. So, but where it gets really important for, for Israel, for, for the story of God's people, the story of God's redemption throughout the Bible is with Moses and God's people in the desert. So we know the story that, that you know, it, originally things go wrong in the garden. God wants to redeem it. He comes to this guy, Abraham, and says, I want to, through your family, rebuild what I started, my kingdom family on the earth. And, and so his family grows a bit, and then they get stuck in Egypt as slaves. So God comes to Moses to say, I want to bring my people out. I hear them suffering. And, and the Exodus, guys, is the defining moment where Israel becomes a nation. But look at, look at what God does with Moses when he's sending Moses. He's calling Moses from the burning bush. He says, Moses, I'm going to send you. And here's why he's going to send him. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The very sign that, that Moses knows God sent me is that they're going to worship. The very place where Moses met God in the burning bush, he said, I'm going to bring you back to this mountain. I want my people here to worship me. And we know that multiple times when Moses is talking to Pharaoh, he's saying, let my people go into the desert to worship. So the defining thing that God is doing to pull them out is to bring glory to himself through them. Does that make sense? He said, let's come worship at this mountain. All right. So, so when they, they get out of Egypt and, and I'll just read this. This is, I'm doing the story super short. First day of the third month, Israelites left Egypt. They get to the desert of Sinai. They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there. And they're in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Pause. What was that like? They're seeing the glory of God, the magnificence, the size of God. We know the story. Everyone's shaking. No one's like, this is cute. You know, this is like, I'm going to die, you know. And then the Lord, uh, he descends to the top of Mount Sinai. He calls Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses goes up and he talks to Moses for a while. and said, here's how it, you'll be able to relate with me because I mean, man, the guys that I know best that are, if you want to study this, l- listen to Bible Project about God's uh, sacrifice and atonement. I have it later in here. But they describe this so well. Imagine, you know, if, okay, our, we, we, we're a planet that goes around the sun. And like if you stand out in the sun too long, you get burned. What if the sun moved into your backyard? I mean, it's beautiful and wonderful, but it'll fry you, man. And that's the presence of God. And so Moses, Moses is getting instructions on the mountain. God's saying, here's how you relate to me so you, so you don't kill yourself. Because I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. And, and so Moses comes back down the mountain. to the, He says to the people, all the Lord's words and laws, and they respond with one voice, everything the Lord has said 
we will do. That sounds like great. We are in Moses. And then Moses goes back up on the mountain and he stays in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And here's what's so cool. God says, I want your people to make a sanctuary for me and I'm going to, I'm going to live with you guys. Think about that. God say, I want to live with you. So while we're here up on the mountain, and, and he gives detailed information as to how to build this special sacred tent that God will live in, which is absurd if you think about it, right? The God who made, it's like the sun living in a tent. It's crazy, but God so wants to be with his people. He gives them a way that, that, that they can relate to him and he can be among them. And what's unfortunate is Moses went up on the mountain, and while God's giving him instructions for the tent that I'm going to ask you to build so I can hang with you, they got bored. And when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Make us gods who will go before us. We were moving before. Now he's not moving. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And so Aaron builds an altar in front of a calf that he made out of gold and announced tomorrow there'll be a festival too. We're calling that the Lord. So they look what they did. The natural thing is they rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings. They gave offerings. Why? They're worshiping another God. Now, when we talk about why we worship, it's God is glorious and what it is, it's glorifying God. It's embodying and declaring God's glory. But as I already said, Sin distorts our ability to embody the glory of God. And look, look what happens in the, the narrative here. So they, Moses has to talk God out of leaving because God's like sin. It, it, the best way to describe it, especially in Leviticus, it's, it's, like, it's like vandalism. It's like you're just putting poo in God's living room. And he's like, I can't hang around here. I don't, why would I want to hang around here anymore? This is not good. Um, and Moses says, listen, if you don't go with this, I, we, we don't even want to go. And so God says, okay, I'll hang here with you guys. They build the tabernacle, but here's what's fascinating. The cloud covers the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. But here's what happened. Moses couldn't enter the tent. Why? Because God's presence was there. He'd been deformed. Sin deforms our ability to be in the presence, to embody God's glory. So it's fascinating. This is the last se- these are the last sentences of Exodus. Next book is Leviticus. They're still in the desert. It's the exact same moment, the narrative. And the very first thing the Lord, Lord calls is the first sentence in Leviticus. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, okay. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, he immediately gives them a way to relate to him. And this is where we see Israel understanding what animal sacrifice was about for the rest of their history. So God basically gives them five different ways they can do that. And if you want to see, go to the theme, Sacrifice and Atonement with Bible Project is really, really helpful. Um, to talk through what Leviticus says about this. But here's the things, the basic components of these animal sacrifices that God instituted in this moment. When he's there in the middle of Israel, they've turned on him. He wants to stay, but he can't stay because they've been vandalized. Also, there's been injustice. 
There's been sin done to them. They're, they're, it's wrong. Death has been introduced into the world through these, through these actions of, of Israel. But here's what the basic components of these five different sacrifice, uh, offerings are. The first one is that God provides it. Now, in most ancient rituals, and also the way that we think about sacrifice, usually the, the math of it goes, God's mad, I better bring something to, hit, to kill, and he won't be mad. Or, or I, I need God to do something for me, so this is kind of my bargain. I'll, I'll give a sacrifice, and hopefully you'll do something nice. But think about this. God wants to be with his people so much, he brings the sacrifice to them. You see what I'm saying? Everything they have is theirs. And he's saying, here's how to sacrifice it to me. Because he wants to be with them. That's super, super big deal. Because, because when we get, we don't understand this out of the Old Testament sacrifice, we start to misunderstand the character of God and even what Jesus did for us. Super important, okay? So God himself is the one initiating. He says the first sentence is, oh, Moses, you can't come in. Here's how to offer sacrifices. He gives it. Next thing we see is that it restores relationship with God. Over and over we see in Leviticus 1 through 7 that each of these sacrifices and offerings, many of them will atone. The word is atone. That it, it, it literally means to cover over. In it, it, the basic, two basic ideas in, in the Hebrew word uh, kapur uh, have to do with that there's a substitution. There's an injustice that's been happening and death's been brought into the camp. And the ones who brought it really do deserve death. So there's a substitute of a pure animal that goes in place of the person who owes death. And the other thing is cleansing. And it's kind of weird to think of it, but, but the life of the animal is in the blood, is what Leviticus says. And so when it sheds its blood, that, that blood is like a, a handy wipe that they take into the, with the altar and the things in the altar that have been smudged by sin and the sin actually cleans with blood. So you get these songs, Oh, the cleansing flood, Oh, the blood of Jesus. It's this idea that his, the blood of the sacrifice is a cleansing agent. And the final thing you see with all these sacrifices is that God provides it, restores relationship, and that it's a total surrender. It's a total surrender. Like, so one of the burnt offering, it's a, or an ascension offering, it, it's like everything is burnt up. And it just, what happens when something burns? It goes up into the air, right? It's like completely transformed. It's completely given up. Um, so, we look in New Testament in the whole idea of sacrifice. What was going on? Well, it's really important to recognize that during the time of the New Testament, there were still sacrifices happening in the temple in Jerusalem exactly as prescribed in Leviticus. So think about this. All the, all the apostles, good Jews, would have actually experienced this stuff. They would have experienced giving a peace offering or ascension offering. Uh, 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 they, they would have been through. There's, in Leviticus, there's one day. It's called the Day of Atonement, where it's for the whole nation to come together and, and, and get this sacrifice that would atone for their sins. Also, you'll notice in the surrounding culture, the Gentiles, it was normal for them to be sacrificing stuff to idols. 
So, so like people would come out of another religion, say in Rome, and they've been like, well, we've been sacrificing these idols. What do we do? What do we sacrifice to Jesus now? So, so that make, it's just it's a sensible thing. Very few of us have to deal with this unless you go to like other cultures that are very d- different than ours. I don't know, Dane, do you, have, you know of any that are still doing animal sacrifice? Dane's been like everywhere. None that you can think of? Okay. Okay. So, Paul, who is a good Jew, who's writing to, we know in his audience that there's some Jews in his audience, but there's also Gentiles, but all of them would have been really acquainted with the idea of animal sacrifice, is explaining, and we talk, looked at this last week, what, what's going on with this Jesus character. And Paul says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. That includes Leviticus. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. This is the critical idea right here that we've got is that God gave us animal sacrifices and that somehow Jesus fulfills this very thing of being a sacrifice of atonement. The, the, this, this is a Greek word, uh, the sacrifice of atonement. The Greek word hilasterion is only used one other time. It's Hebrews 9, 5, where it's translated mercy seat or atonement cover. What is that? It's in, in the very holy of holies where the presence of God itself would be that on the day of atonement, they would sacrifice an animal and go put, sprinkle blood on the atonement cover to be able to cleanse Israel of her sins for that year. And here's saying that Jesus not only gives his blood, but he's also the atonement cover itself. If you want to look more of that, read, read Leviticus 16, and that'll show you the background of that that what Paul's talking about there. Incidentally, if you ever wondered, this is the next few sentences that Paul says, did, did those sacrifices that Israel make actually take their sins away? And the answer is no, it didn't. Hebrews says it, these sacrifices, an animal sacrifice is not enough for our sin. But it was this long lesson. This is what Paul said. This is this long lesson of God was teaching them, preparing the world for Jesus. He said God did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, his patience, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. In other words, God was holding on through his people Israel, teaching them this is what you need to do to be able to be in my presence. God did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just, in other words, he's, he's dealing with sin, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So as, think about this. God's been patient for hundreds of years, teaching all these folks what Jesus is all about for this moment. That's a rabbit hole you can go down. There's other places in Hebrews you can look at. So, Old Testament sacrifice, basic themes. The first is that God provides it. New Testament sacrifice is Jesus himself. And look here, we've got such clarity. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. 
so critical that we understand that, that why we, we're, I am happy to confess my sins to you because he gave the sacrifice to deal with my failure. That's why we sing a song where it says, I'm not ashamed to show you my weakness. We do not have competency through how strong and smart we are. It's how weak we are. We run to Jesus, the only one who can help us. The strongest people I know are the ones who have the least pain tolerance and run to Jesus as quickly as possible. This is love. Not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's God who's initiating the repair of our relationship. He's the pursuer. He's the aggressor. What in the world, right? I told my wife three times before she ever will date him. I told her she liked me and she said, I don't know what to tell you, Gail. I don't like you that much. <laughs> this is very true. I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating. And like our God, I didn't clue in that I could keep on asking and keep on asking. And she relented. Yes, praise God indeed. God initiates. He provides a sacrifice. We see that Old Testament sacrifice restores relationship with God, that Jesus... We're justified. Everything's made okay by His grace through the redemption that came through Him. We've been justified with, uh, by faith. We have peace with God. Message translation is beautiful. said, we, everything is okay with God. Everything's good between us and Him. And this third thing of it being total surrender. Look at how Jesus surrenders Himself. Paul says, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. I mean, just that phrase alone is outrageous. Like, would you give up your job for somebody? That's a hard one, isn't it? Just give up your job for somebody. Now, some of you hate your job, so you're like, I, yes, Lord. <laughs> but giving up our lives for somebody else. And Jesus said this about himself, just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus embodies everything we read in Leviticus in himself. That what Israel had in, in for, for, for centuries was living out, was preparing us with this lesson of what it would mean that Jesus would come. So, how do we worship? How does this work out then when Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice? Remember, Paul's got all the Old Testament scriptures in his head. He's been to the temple. He's offered sacrifices. So some of his audience has been in Rome doing the same thing. And also they know what sacrifices are, whether they were Jews or not, because sacrifices are just what you do to worship gods. So Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, if we, if we do this same kind of deal here, this is kind of the way it works for us. God provides the sacrifice, and that's really what we talked about. And therefore, God, our existence, we owe to God himself. It's such a big deal that we get clear the distinction between God and us, creator and creature. That's like the, that's the fundamental confusion we deal with, right? Because there's so many situations I think it would work so much better if I were God. So I'll just act like I am. Try to control things. Get the outcomes I want. 
But God is the one who provides our own lives that become a sacrifice. And what Jesus has done, that's the whole in view of God's mercy. So we talked about last week. Where we see what we're, when Paul's talking about sacrifice is this idea of total surrender. Of total surrender. He says to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Offer. Exercise your will. Not saying you don't have a choice. You do have a choice. You do have a choice. You can say no to this. Israelites didn't have to offer a sacrifice. Now, here's what would happen. They couldn't be in God's presence because it would kill them. Again, you can't, you can't go too close to the sun without, you know, I don't know, your space suit on. <laughs> the atonement suit. <laughs> but we get to decide to will offer our bodies. Sometimes we get a little too spiritual. We're, so often we're, too, we're more spiritual than God. He works. He loves our bodies. God bless the doctors in the house. I see you. Appreciate you. Our bodies, in Hebrew thought, is our total existence. It wasn't really clear in Hebrew thought that, that you're this immaterial soul and body. It's all one. That act, that's thought's actually from Greek thought, Plato. It's, it's actually not biblical. That there's this separate thing. I'll just get out of this shell. No, it's all together. And if you think about it, you can't really do anything beyond your body. Now, we're under the deception that we are because the Internet exists, right? So I press a button, I'm touching the other side of the world. But you still had to use your finger with that brain to touch that button. We're embodied. So it's saying the totality of our existence. Now, here's the interesting thing. Paul's already talked about what happens to your body when you misplace your worship. Romans 1. That's why sexuality is such a big deal. Why? It's how we use our bodies to the glory of God or to idols. What the heck? They were, these songs were like smoking us. I didn't know, I never heard that song before. I was like, I won't worship idols. Like, woo, this is good stuff. This is the sermon. But it's the total opposite. It's give your body to God to do with whatever he wants to. The totality of your existence. And as a living sacrifice, as we see in Leviticus, the sacrifices are all dead. So Paul's playing with an idea here to say it's a sacrifice that stays alive. What in the world is that? And I think the message translation says it really good. Eugene Peterson does a great job. He said, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. So, why do we worship? It's because God is glorious. It's just the normal response to seeing who He is. What is worship? It's glorifying God. It's, it's embodying and declaring God's glory. It's living the glory of God. And it's becoming like Jesus, being restored to embody and declare God's glory. It's the question of how do we worship? It's through sacrifice. There are a couple things here. Notice this. To embody the glory of God, it's I'm surrendering my entire existence, body and will, 
to embody God's glory. The beauty of His character. The way He does things. That's what worship is. This is really cool. That we're being restored to embody the glory of God. All of us, we're a little wonky. We're saints and sinners. If your faith is in Jesus, He's redeeming you. He's fixing you. And we've just still got some, some bad habits. Some things we're, we're not quite worshiping Jesus yet. <laughs> Can we surrender to total transformation through participation in Jesus' death and resurrection? This is what Ingrid was talking about in that word. If you're new to believers, we, we try to make it open for people if they feel like God's saying something to them and it fits the service. One of us uh, pastors will talk with you about it and, and be happy for everyone to hear it. Can we believe that he's the best thing ever, even though I think he's, I'm going to die? The good news is you are. Say, like, God, what are you doing? Trying to kill me? Yes. <laughs> yes, he's trying to kill me. Because look at here. This is the, this is the sentence we've been looking at. Here's, here's the way it works. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's what worship is. This is the transformation. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, what it looks like to live the glory of God. That is what worship is. It's a full body, full life transformation of being the glory of God. Being the glory of God. Now, so, you notice I like repetition. God is glorious, worships the reasonable response of His glory. That's why we worship. What, did it, what is worship? It's glorifying God, embodying and declaring God's glory. It's becoming like Jesus, being restored to be able to do that. And how do we worship? It's through sacrifice. We worship through sacrifice. We worship through sacrifice. The surrender of my entire existence to God's glory. You know, it just popped into my mind. Did, did you notice there's nothing about the word rights? Could, could it be that if we're insisting on our rights with God, we, we can't worship Him? Because Paul's already showed it. Here's how you worship God. It's offer your bodies as a living sacrifice with this whole history of what we know what sacrifice means through the Old Testament. You'll notice I, I haven't talked about declaring God's glory. And, and we will do that when we come back to this series in about a month. And these are both things that, that are often called liturgy. It's just a fancy, is it, the words were used in Greek a few times, liturgia. It just has to do with the work people do on, for others. And in liturgy, that's what we usually think about when we think of worship. Songs we sing. Clapping. Uh, I love that we have the crazy flags and, 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 you know, things. Are they in the Bible? No, but offer your body is a living sacrifice, bro. Right? I love that our children think it's normal to party in a church service. 
That, I, for those of you that bothers, I'm sorry, man. We're, I, I don't want to stop it because I'm serious. It's very intentional. That that movement of a child in the presence of God is so critical. One of my friends said, said the way you know that God's around is the kids want to come. Because they know there's safety and beauty in the presence of God. So it's a little chaotic. And I'm okay with that. Because um, the truth is, we're just as chaotic. It's all in our heads. right? We're like, you know, we're like going bananas in our hearts and minds and saying, praise you, Jesus. We just know how to hide it. So we'll be talking about liturgy and music and things like that. I mean, there's so many different ways that God gives us to worship Him. There's like a lesson you can lay down, stand, jump. Um, Dane's got a thing where he really gets going. He goes, woo, <laughs> woo, <laughs> woo. Hey, man, the Lord is in the house when Dane's pipping. You know, I love it. So I want to give, I want to end with just a, a way to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. You can say, okay, everything I do, uh, everything I ex- in my existence is a living sacrifice. Here's a practice that has helped me. Um, and here are different, these are authors and books. They're all talking about a similar thing, um, just different ways. Brother Lawrence, a book called Practice in the Presence of God, I want to say it's maybe 400 years old. Testament of Devotion was early, like 1930s, Frank Laubach. 1930s, and Basile Schlink, I've just been reading her. She's like smoking me in terms of the intensity of her love for Jesus. Um, Each of them gave practical ways that you can practice being attentive to Jesus all the time. First Thessalonians, Paul gives us, he goes, pray without ceasing. Like, what does that mean? And, and what it means is, how do you hold yourself in attentiveness to the presence of God all the time? It takes work, but I'm telling you, it will change everything. It will change everything. Just practice the presence of God in traffic. You'll drive different, I promise you. I promise you. So Brother Lawrence does these things of just these loving pauses. Well, he, he, most of the time, he, his whole life, he repaired shoes and uh, wash dishes, and has written one of the most influential books in the last 400 years. Because he was practicing just a, a pause. Oh, Jesus, I know you're here. I can't do anything. I can't even wash these dishes without you. So beautiful. Thomas Kelly, he talk, he, he's, he's a really artistic kind of writer. It's really cool. He talks about this inner space in your soul that only you and Jesus can inhabit. And just even right in the middle of a conversation, you get back in there. Say, Jesus, I love you. I need you. I love you. I'm with you. Uh, Frank Laubach, this guy's out there, man. He, he tried to think of God every minute of every day. He has this whole thing. It's called a game with minutes. And he tried, and you'd think, did this guy ever get anything done? This guy, yeah, you'd think that, right? He's the most influential educator in teaching people how to read globally. He's helped millions of people who didn't know how to read, read. But it was as he was in other nations, they actually were close to the gospel, teaching them to read. Practicing the presence of God. He exponentially blew up his productivity. Whoa. And then Basileia, I've been 
yeah, this is really sweet. I can just feel Jesus when I'm saying it. She'd just say, Jesus, Jesus, as the day goes on, Jesus. And other times, especially when she's doing something she didn't want to do, she'd say, it's for you. For you. Oh, man, I can feel the presence of Jesus on that. Yeah, do that next time you do something you don't want to do. For you. It's for you, Jesus. And just do it throughout the day. And you'll start to notice Jesus is there all the time. And all of a sudden, I can start to offer my body as a living sacrifice. Have you ever been in a conversation, you all of a sudden have that feeling of like, this isn't going to go well. (laughs) And you start to have that sinking feeling. Man, I'm telling you, get to Jesus right then. Right then, you can do it. Just quiet. You have to say, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I need you. The presence of the Holy Spirit shows up. You will look like the glory of God. You might actually not retort. You might learn to love enemies because you have power. You don't have any other way than you're just running to Jesus in weakness. So let's stand together. And we're going to close with Caleb. If you just, that, you paid my debt. Just a chorus we were singing. It just felt like a good way to end today. pray this last prayer together. You put that on the screen, please. We love you, Father. And let's pray this. Father, in response to how much mercy you have given us, help us to offer to you our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. This will be our true and proper worship. Amen. Have a great week, guys. I